Good evening. I'm Bill Hurt. I'm pastor at Salem Mission Church here in our presbytery. And I'm delighted to be here this evening. And before I even begin preaching, I want to let you know how blessed we have been by this church. You probably are not aware of at least all the ways, and I'm not even aware of all the ways in which we've been blessed by this church. But first of all, as a mission church, we don't have our own elders and deacons. We're under what's called a provisional session that's made up of elders appointed from our presbytery. And we have six elders that help with Salem, that help shepherd Salem. Three of those six are at Carriage Lane. Well, Doug is one of them, but also Norm Duncan and Greg Janos. And they've been a real encouragement and blessing to me. I, I love those guys. I appreciate them. They're doing a wonderful job. And then secondly, I appreciate that y'all have had us in your missions guide and have prayed, through, prayed for us uh, since uh, we began this mission church just a few years ago. And also, uh, I want to mention that um, uh, this church has been a prime mover in bringing pastors on the south end of our presbytery together once a month to pray and have lunch together. And I've enjoyed getting to know the guys through that. And so uh, it's always an honor to preach. It's special to be here also because of the blessing y'all have been to us. I want to mention that here tonight are uh, three lovely ladies from our church. First and foremost is my wife, Sydney. And then we also have Kathy Logan and Jody Waddle. So I know they'll want to say hello to you uh, following the worship service. Uh, well, uh, this evening we're going to be looking at just four verses from Luke chapter 13. So I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. And while you're turning there, uh, I want you to think for a moment about the petition that Jesus gave to the disciples. The petition specifically, thy kingdom come. And when we're praying, thy kingdom come, or for God's kingdom to come, what does that mean? Well, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a sphere over which a king rules. And so God's kingdom succinctly is the sphere over which he rules. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the rule of God to come among us. And what follows in the Lord's prayer bears that out. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we would say, well, isn't the Lord sovereign over all that is? Uh, yes, of course. But at the same time, by his providence, there is in the world presently sin and sickness and evil and darkness and lostness and rebellion. There are many people who do not know him. But we pray, Father, thy kingdom come, knowing that God can, is, and will overcome evil, change human hearts, save the lost, and that ultimately with the second coming of Jesus, he will replace this groaning sphere with his perfect rule, and we wait for that eagerly. But even now, God is working all things in conformity with the purpose of his will, bringing to himself people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is forcefully advancing. And this sure advance of God's kingdom blesses us, it cheers us, it motivates us. And it is this planned, 
unstoppable advance of the kingdom that we learn about in the two short parables that Jesus gives in our four verses this evening. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 20. And we'll study these two short parables. And then I would like to point out three characteristics of the kingdom of God and how we should respond to them. Let me lead us in a brief prayer before we jump in. Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We pray that you'd help us to understand what the Spirit is saying through these words of God. And that we would respond with loving and obedient hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, hear the word of the Lord, Luke 13, 18 through 21. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. The first of the three characteristics of the kingdom of God that I want you to take note of is this. The kingdom of God grows according to God's plan. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. The seed did not arbitrarily fall into the garden. In one of our former yards, we had fescue and somehow a seed of centipede grass got into the lawn and it began to grow and to grow and to take over. Maybe it dropped from a bird. Well, the seed in this parable is not from the wind. It's not from a bird. It's not blown from another tree, but a man took it. And cast it into his garden. And this verb to cast is the same verb that's used of the poor widow who cast the two copper coins into the offering. Furthermore, the ground in which he planted it was not arbitrarily chosen. He didn't plant it in the woods or on a pathway. It didn't fall on infertile soil or on a rock. Rather, he planted it in his garden. Both the seed and his garden were his to do with what he pleased. And with planning he, and with purpose, he planted it. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. When I was a child, there was a series of Reese's peanut butter commercials that all had the same basic plot. Two people are walking towards one another. They don't know one another. They're lost in their own worlds. And one of them is going, hmm, I just love this chocolate. The other one is, oh, I love this peanut butter. They turn a corner and bam, they hit one another. They fall down. And one says, hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. And the other one says, well, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. And then they taste it. And they go, wow, this is delicious. The flower did not accidentally bump into some unsuspecting yeast. 
Rather, this woman took it and mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. So the gardener plants his garden with intention and according to his plan. The woman prepares her flower with intention according to her plan. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It grows according to God's plan. The second characteristic I want you to notice is that the kingdom of God grows from very small to very large. It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree. Years ago, some folks gave me a pencil or pen. But anyway, in place of the eraser was just a little plastic bubble and inside of that was a mustard seed. A mustard seed is smaller than a peppercorn. A mustard seed, on average, is about five one-hundredths of an inch in diameter. And yet, when it's planted, it grows to the size that birds can perch in its branches. And the kingdom of God is like that mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. It's like yeast. Yeast is commonly used in leavening bread. Now, I'm not a chef. I don't cook that much. I much prefer to be on the receiving end of good cooking. But I want to read to you Webster's definition for yeast. A yellow, frothy substance consisting of a mass of minute fungi. Doesn't that whet your appetite? Which germinate and multiply in the presence of starch or sugar and form alcohol and carbon dioxide during a process of fermentation induced by an enzyme. Now, only a small amount of yeast is needed to make a large quantity of dough rise. Why? Because in the presence of starch or sugar, the yeast multiplies. When I was in high school... A classmate of mine had a father who was a gastroenterologist, and my high school classmate told me that her father had a patient who was an emergency where a man ate a loaf of dough before it had risen. And the father had an emergency go and pump the stomach out. And I'll bet if that man were a Christian, he could give us peculiar insight to this parable right here. And this is a large amount of flowers. It says, a flower. It says three pecks. Well, I don't know what pecks are, but in my studies, it said it's equivalent to about 39 liters. So this yeast works all through the dough, but from the outset, the woman purposed that it would be a large amount. And so God grows his kingdom according to his plan. And he grows it from very small to very large. He will overturn the evil of this world. He will save the lost as he has planned. And he's not going to do it in a small way. Now this plan predates creation. But God began to reveal it to humankind early on. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord's speaking to the serpent, but he's speaking in the hearing of Adam and Eve. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
This woman will bear offspring, and one of her descendants will crush Satan and evil. And then nine chapters later, the Lord speaks to Abram and says, I will make you into a great nation. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, Genesis 13. If anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Genesis 15, count the stars if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And 2,000 years ago, the Lord brought into the world the seed of Eve and the descendant of Abraham, our Lord Jesus. And on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan and died for the sins of Abraham's offspring and for all the nations that would be grafted in. Jesus laid on his life on his own accord on the cross to purchase men, women, and children, the nations for God. And then he was raised from the dead. And he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Dear friends, probably very few of you are of Jewish blood. Jewish physical descent, the physical line of Abraham. The large majority of us are Gentiles, non-Jews, coming from family lines from other continents in the world. And it wasn't very long ago, a few hundred years ago, that your people and my people had no access to the gospel. Think of Georgia. Think of Native Americans, each one with a precious eternal soul in this region thousands of years ago. At the time that the Lord spoke to Abraham, about 2000 B.C., there were peoples in what we now know as Georgia. But they were far from the covenant promises. When did the gospel reach Georgia? About 300 years ago. If I'm correct, first from the Moravians. But friends, here we are. People from many nations. We are those that Paul wrote about to Timothy. Who according to his own purpose and grace. Were granted salvation from a alternity. From, excuse me. From all eternity. He saved us according to his own purpose and grace. Which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And John in Revelation 7, getting a vision of what is to come, says, And I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing there before the throne in front of the Lamb. One of my favorite portions of music is the end of the Firebird Suite by Igor Stravinsky. And just prior to this portion, the music is swirly, it's chaotic, it's frightening. And then it gets quiet, and this lone French horn plays a new melody. And then the violins join in with it. And the woodwinds join in with it. And the brass joins in. And then it grows 
and there's this fortissimo bass drum slam. Boom! And then the whole orchestra joins in. And it's glorious. It's victorious. And so grows God's kingdom with planning and purpose from small to large, intentional, directed, unstoppable. And it's not going to stop until it works all the dough. It will not be cut short. It will not be thwarted. And then the third characteristic of the kingdom I want you to see from this parable is this. God's kingdom makes things right and well. What if it had been this? The kingdom is like a stem of kudzu that someone planted deep in the forest. Or the kingdom is like a gallon of water that was poured into a diesel truck tank. Now, both of those are intentional. Both grow and spread from small to large. But neither is pleasant. Neither is desirable. Neither is right nor good. Notice how the metaphors which Christ uses here are pleasant. Seed becoming a tree that provides a home for the birds is pleasing. The yeast will transform the dough so that the dough, rather than being flat and tasteless, will be appetizing and delightful. My wife's in real estate, and it's sometimes suggested that someone should cook a fresh loaf of bread just before the house is about to be shown, right? Have you ever been through the mall, and there's a Tiffany's bakery in some portion of the mall, and you're just walking along, and all of a sudden, mm, all this begins to draw you in and call you. Our present sphere, sure, is filled with sin, with hurt, with atrophy, with death, with weakness, with people hurting people, and they try to fill the void with all kinds of substitutes, deadlines by day, Bacardi by night, if I can get that house, get that job, get that guy, get that girl, get that security, if I can be healthy, then I'll be happy. Then this void, this hole in my heart will be filled. And while homes and jobs and guys and girls, security and health, while these are all good things and are to be received with thanks, when they are so sought after that it becomes before God, At that point, they are idols. Dear friends, I speak to you, as the scripture says of you, that you know God, that you are known by God. You have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And God is making things right and well in you. Where are we in the parables? Well, in the parable of the mustard seed, what's the seed? Seed is the kingdom, right? So where are we in the mustard seed? I think we're the birds. It says the birds nested in the trees. That that verb, depending on the context, can be translated to pitch a tent, to dwell, to encamp, to lodge, to rest. Dear friends, you and I have a home in Christ. 
where we are safe from predators, where there's a gathering place, a community in the shade, a place of contentment. What would birds be without trees? And where are we in the parable of the yeast or the leaven? Well, the kingdom is the leaven or the yeast. We are the dough. Bread was meant to be made with yeast. It, yeast takes something that was life, l- l- flat and lifeless. The Lord took us where we were lifeless, where we were spiritually dead. And then something came from the outside, outside from us and was put in us. And we began to change from the inside out. The yeast is the gospel confirmed by faith in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's awakened us to a new life, convicted us of sin, has enabled us to live a new and fruitful life, and is making things right and ordered and a fitting and appropriate the way it's supposed to be. So, dear friends, how should we respond to God's supreme mercy? Shown to us. Well, Paul writes at the end of Romans 11, the beginning of Romans 12, that we've been shown mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And we pray, Father, in my body, in my mind, in those things which have been used for evil, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May the yeast of righteousness work its way into all areas of my life that I honor you with my mind and my body. And I want to say to to some of you who are young today, don't think that you can't make a contribution to the kingdom because of your young age. I'll tell you a, a thing that floored me that I saw in a documentary. Okay, which Apollo was it that had the first lunar landing? Anybody know? It was 11. Okay, Gene Krantz was the director of missions operation at Johnson Space Center. He talked about how dedicated and how young the team with whom he was working was. You know what the, he said the average age of the controllers at the time of the first lunar landing was 26. Can you believe that? He said at 35, he was the old guy in the room. So if you are young, don't think that the the Lord can't use you for great things in the kingdom. So we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But also, dear friends, let us rest. Let us pitch a tent. Let us lodge. Let us nest. Let us encamp. Let us abide in Christ. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And then third and lastly, I would say this. Involve yourself in a mission-minded local church. Involve yourself in this church. I've already shared with you some of the ways in which the mission-mindedness of this church has been a blessing to us down in 
Franklin. And even here we are in Little Franklin, we're sending off this week two crates, crates for Ukraine. We're at Franklin, in Franklin, studying right now the book of Acts. And just this morning, I preached on the beginning of Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch, led by the Holy Spirit, is sending out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. The mother church of Jerusalem was busy building up the Jewish saints there in Jerusalem. And the church in Antioch was sending out missionaries to win the nations. And perhaps every person in this room, if you had the data, could trace your conversion back to the original missionary efforts of the church at Antioch. Now, Antioch has a different name. It sounds a bit like Antioch. It's in southern Turkey. It's a city of about 250,000 people. It's mostly a Muslim city. But from there, 2,000 years ago, the word went out and it did not come back void. Nations were one to the Lord. And so as I exhorted Salem Church this morning, so I exhort you, let us make the most of our time now. What will West Georgia be if Jesus doesn't come back beforehand 500 years from now or 1,000 years from now? I don't know, but may the nations be impacted by being faithful stewards of what God has given us in these days. Lastly, I'll say, if there's anybody here who hasn't known Christ. Maybe your life's like that portion of the Firebird Suite, swirling and fluttering and fearful. Maybe it's deadlines by day, Bacardi by night. You want joy? You want peace? You want refuge? Dear friend, God is not merely watching from a distance. He's not disinterested. He's not even just slightly interested The world is not spending aimlessly, meaninglessly, or haphazardly. He has a plan, and he's growing his kingdom. And he calls his sheep by name. And he gives rest to those who come to him. And how is that acquired? It is by believing in the one who crushed the head of the serpent. It is by believing and following Christ, crucified, dead, and raised. The dough does not change by itself. There's something that comes from the outside and begins changing it from within. Rejoice the Lord is King. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules over earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're not miserly with your compassion. But you were so generous with your mercy that you gave your son. And we thank you that a plan that included such great cost to the Godhead will not peter out, will not grow pale and weak. 
but forcefully advances each and every day. I thank you for Carriage Lane Presbyterian Church, for the multiple ways in which the church has been a blessing to me personally and to Salem Church. Father, continue to pour out the richness of your blessing on this people. Lead and guide them. May we all give our sincere devotion to the champion and author of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.